It's time for OWC Radio, Tech Talk with Creatives, Conversations with host Serena Catania. John Hino is a freelance photographer and an incredibly creative man that I met when I was in Duluth, Minnesota recently. He's also been a piano player for decades. He does rock, blues, jazz, plays with bands. Uh, This guy's got a really interesting history and an amazing creative presence, and I really wanted to bring him on the show. So, John, where are you and what's happening today? Well, Serena, I am in my editing, photo editing studio in Duluth, Minnesota. Once I'm done speaking with you, I have a hot scrabble game with my 91-year-old mother. Oh, that's so sweet. That's very (laughs) sweet. (laughs) So, John, you were uh, CEO of a very successful company. I believe it was called Como Oil and Propane. And now you're this wandering creative making magic wherever you go. I've I've, uh, seen a lot of your photography and I'm very inspired by it. So, first of all, why Duluth? And, and what in Duluth breeds these crazy creative people everywhere? They're walking the streets in Duluth. Why Duluth? Well, uh, yeah, for me, it was the luck of the draw. I was born here. And uh, I don't know if I'm like most people, but, you know, Duluth is not a huge city. You know, it's, it's, an, it's a nice community and everything, but it's not a big city. And uh, as much as, it was a great place to grow up. I couldn't wait to get out. I mean, I, I'm like, I'm thinking about New York and L.A. and, you know, all of these exciting things. Even at Minneapolis, St. Paul seemed like a mecca to me. Well, doesn't every young person want to get away, right? Every young person goes, I've got to move away. And then you come I think back. So. Yeah. I, I, I had the wanderlust anyway, so I couldn't wait to get out. I mean, I graduated um, from high school, and a week later I was in Seattle, Washington with the band <laughs> and uh, never looked back and it took me like seven years on the road in a band before eventually it got to the point where I felt like coming back to Duluth and going to college um, but it was you know it was a fantastic seven years but the funny thing happened is that when I did come back to Duluth even though it was kind of partially to go to school and partially to marry my wife um, why Duluth why, what about Duluth is creating so many amazing creative people? Just they're walking the streets. <laughs> well, you know, for me, really, it was just uh, being born here. <laughs> um, and in fact, when I was younger, growing up, I couldn't wait to get out. You know, it's a fairly small community. And thinking about places like New York and Los Angeles, you know, that, that was beckoning to me. I couldn't wait to grow up and get out. So I guess I didn't really appreciate it when I was growing up. But then, uh, I mean, I I graduated from high school, and a week later I was in Seattle around uh, along the uh, road with a band, and I spent about seven years doing that. And when I came back to Duluth to, to go to school and marry my wife, all of a sudden I started to realize, I guess partially because I was older and partially because I'd seen a lot of the country, good and bad, I got back here and realized, you know, this is a pretty cool place to live. Uh, and as far as the people, the other creative people in this area, I think a lot of it has to do with the natural beauty. You've been here recently. Uh, you saw, for instance, at Jay Cook State Park. Oh, it's the gorgeous. rugged beauty. It's gorgeous. Yeah, and, and Lake Superior, mm-hmm. you know, I mean amazing that the whole north shore from duluth up to the canadian border is just a gorgeous place i 
I think, you know, whether people are actually, you know, painting uh, the North Shore or Lake Superior or photographing or, or they just, whatever their creative interest is, sitting by the lake, an inspiring thing for most humans. And so I think the creative, the number of creative people here has a lot to do with the environment and, and what it offers to them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I I was on Lake Superior at sunrise and the lake was like mm. glass and the seagulls or whatever were flying over and the lighthouses were slowly being illuminated by the sun coming up. It was yeah. one of those precious <laughs> moments. I'm I, I can understand why you're there. So we're going to talk about both photography and your music and what you do and how you do both of those. And uh, I want to pause for just a second, though, and thank OWC for sponsoring this show because it's thanks to them I can talk to amazing creative people like you. So thank you, Otherworld Computing. You rock. And speaking of rock, back to John Hino. So why photography? You've been called by one person who interviewed a master of light and lens, and I thought, you know what? That is so true because... Your stuff just really caught my eye. And you can go all over Duluth, and you're everywhere. Your photography is everywhere. People love it. So why did you choose Why did you choose photography? Well, it's kind of interesting uh, the way things evolve. I actually started out, um, you know, this drawing and, and some oil painting, but mostly drawing with everything from colored pencils to... Uh, pastels to india ink uh and i i was at a time period where i was very influenced by peter max and so uh, i did that more towards high school and a little bit into college and i was an art major when i started college um the photography piece came in college uh where i don't know there there was something that said you know try this and um, mm-hmm. I was very fortunate. I had an amazing photography professor at University of Minnesota Duluth, a guy named Joe Boudreau. And he came here from New York City, where he was a fairly big-time photographer. I mean, he had covers of magazines. He did a lot of commercial work. Joe was here because he, he, he said, I think I'm going to see if I can find a place somewhere in a quieter city and maybe teach college at least for a year just to take a break. Mm-hmm. And I think his year became probably five or 10 years, but I was fortunate to have him and he just inspired everybody. And, um, I don't know. I, it, it, I, I wound up taking every possible photograph photography class I could during my undergraduate degree. And in fact, when I had some independent study credits I could do, I did them in photography and, and, you know, it just lit a fire for me. It's amazing to me how a good mentor or somebody that encourages creative people can make a whole difference in their life. I mean, did you have people when you were younger that said, no, you need to go into business, you need to, because you did go into business. For a while in the beginning, I was frustrated. And and here's what was happening. I, I would I would have some kind of a category assignment for the photography class, and I'd sit and think about it. Mm-hmm. So I'd get this image in my mind, and then I'd go out and look for it. And, of course, you never found it, right? And and um, and Joe asked me one day, he said, you know, you seem a little bit uptight. Can I? Is there anything I can help you with? 
And so I shared it with them. I said, well, you know what? I, I get these great ideas when you have a photo assignment and I get, I, I can see it in my head. I know exactly what I want. I can't find it out there. Mm. Oh, he said, and he kind of chuckled a little bit. He looked at me and said, oh, I see. Well, he said, here's the deal. Don't take the picture. Let the picture take you. And that simple advice <laughs> made me a better photographer. And years later, I realized it applied to human relations and the business world, right? Mm-hmm. But so here's the thing, right? You, and, I, and I instantly realized that if you've got this image in your mind of something you're looking for, it's, it's preventing you from seeing what's developing before your eyes in real time. You're, you're not present. You're not part of the environment that's unfolding. And as soon as I got that preconceived image out of my mind, and he, here's what he said. He said, go somewhere that you like, you know, have your camera handy, but don't start looking. Just sit there for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, if you do meditation or if you can know how to breathe, get yourself in a relaxed state. He said, I guarantee you, five minutes tops, you'll start seeing images shouting out at you from everywhere. And he was right. Now, wow. here's... Apart from photography, which was was huge, it completely changed me. Apart from photography, here's what it was on a life basis. Now, if you think about it for a minute, because I, you know, I worked my way up in the corporate world, you know, supervisor, middle manager, vice president, eventually CEO. But along the way, when you are having a meeting, ostensibly, if you're in a decent company and you're halfway smart, if you're having a meeting, there's a purpose to that. Right? You're not just getting a bunch of people together, although that happens. And in the beginning, when you're a first-line supervisor, and maybe you haven't learned that let-the-picture-take-you concept, you, you organize your meeting, you put on an agenda, and then you design that agenda to get the group to come to the outcome that you think is the best, <laughs> which is better, still better than an unorganized meeting. But mm-hmm. when I, once I realized that that lesson applied to human relations and the corporate world it made me a better manager and a better teammate and that was you you if if you if you gave the people the tools the information they needed in advance and and explained that a decision had to be made but not having pre-made it yourself and trying to get them to come to the decision you think is right then you have your meeting it's structured they've got the information they need there's a dialogue and guess what? I mean, the old story, 99% of the time, two heads are better than one or six mm-hmm. heads are better than two. It's true. But you had to, you know, let the picture take you. You had to let the dialogue happen and let the solution evolve from the group. And and if you think about it, even for a minute, you can see whether you're in a formal business environment or any human interaction whatsoever, informal, church, family, the lesson applies. And, and so... That one experience with my photography professor changed my creative life and it changed my life. What an amazing gift. I believe in mentors and I don't think young people or at least this generation have enough of them. So I'm hoping that they're going to listen into this and and learn from you as well. This is great advice. You were lucky to have him and I'm sure he thinks back about you and and he was lucky to have you too. Well, this is great. Here's the thing. Uh, I was lucky to have another one in uh, a guy named Lee Brush, who was my sculpture painting professor, who was 
every bit inspiring, but in a different way. He was he was the true Renaissance man. I mean, he's a guy who wired trees hmm. for the sounds that trees make, and then ran the the wires at the time because he didn't have wireless technology from the trees where the where the uh, sensors were implanted into his basement to a recording studio and recorded like symphonies of tree sounds and it's leaf brush was his name he also he wow. also uh he also <laughs> had people in a I mean, he was way ahead of his time because this is many 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 years ago but i think it might have been his mfa project he had people in an auditorium in germany i think it might have been berlin and he was in greenland because in his mind, no one has ever heard a thunderstorm the way it sounds in Greenland, where there's nothing but snow to cushion everything. So, oh, my goodness. So, yeah. He, he set up a pattern of microphones in the same dimensions as the perimeter of the, the hmm. hall that they were seated in. And live, they were listening to him bring a recording of a of a thunderstorm happening in greenland to this auditorium in germany <laughs> so, oh my tell goodness. me that is an inspiring you know when did you first realize you were this amazing creative person i mean when you were five years old did you sit on the floor and draw pictures what what was going on for you when you were a little boy and did you have people that encouraged you or said no yeah well i i of course didn't realize i was a creative person i was just doing what was fun but yeah, my mom used to have to come and check on me once in a while. <laughs> she'd be worried you didn't hear anything. You know, if I had if I had some paper and crayons, you, you know, you probably wouldn't hear anything from me for a couple of hours because I just enjoyed that. And uh, I guess I was encouraged. I certainly wasn't discouraged. You know, I looking back on it, I suppose every child who scribbles something on a piece of paper, their parents, oh, Johnny, that's beautiful. You know, <laughs> I don't know how much of that was mom and how much of it was genuine, but later on I did in, get encouraged. And, you know, I was lucky enough to grow up at a time when we still had an art teacher in high school. And um, she was such an amazing person. Uh, she just, um, she had she had a class curriculum or, you know, a, an outline for the class, but, I mean, she she just allowed you to be you. And so... You know, she gave me the freedom to go off on tangents. And, you know, I was at the time doing stuff that was kind of reminiscent of Peter Max or something like that. You know, lots of color, lots of lines, um, India ink, uh, colored pencil, chalk, whatever. But so I was very encouraged. I still at the time didn't say, hey, I'm a creative person. I just just exploring the world. I think I, I maybe realized it for the first time. <laughs> Um, you know, when I got into college and my guidance counselor took me aside uh, a couple years into the program, said, John, you are doing fabulous. Um, you know, you're, you're lighting up the art department. They, I, and he said, you, you know, you don't have to take this too serious, but I just want to point this out. If you stay on this course, you may have trouble finding a job. So he would say, I would like you to consider, you know, switching majors to something that will make you more employable when you graduate. Oh, my gosh. And, and keep your art as a minor. Oh, that's. I think that's, I'm sorry. I just think that's almost criminal. <laughs> I mean, well, my theory about creativity is if it's really fun, that's your gift. 
right? Some people love yeah, doing and, spreadsheets. I mean, uh, you loved to draw. So what'd you do after that? Well, I, I, I thought it over and I took his advice actually, because I did, I was at the point where I was married and at, at, at some point soon would be having children. And I decided, you know, I'm going to need a job. Cause I mean, you, you know, you look at the, put it in context. I come out of seven years on the road with the rock and roll band, get into a situation where I'm thinking about marriage and children and go back to college so I can get a degree and get a job. Right. I mean, that was the mantra back then. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it was, it was in that context that I was trying to make a transition from a very unstable uh, income stream to something that was, you know, more reliable to raise a family with. So it did, it, it, it persuaded me. Um, and uh, I switched, I wound up getting a communication degree and later a master's in management and, you know, did the whole business world thing for like 31 years, never stopped art, never stopped music even, you know, cause I was always playing in weekend warrior bands and things like that. But, um, you know, certainly my life would have been different if I, if I stayed, uh, with the art major, because I would have probably gone on and got an MFA and so on. And I don't know if I'd be teaching or what I'd be doing, but um, it would have been different. So it was, I mean, it was a life changing thing, but I, I can't blame the guy. I think he meant well, especially when he said, look, this, I'm, this is just my opinion. I'm not saying you should do this, but you should consider it because you might have a tough time finding a job, especially around here. So that's the other downside of being in Duluth. If you're a creative here, sometimes you got to do something else to pay your bills to allow you to do what you want to do. Cause there's, there's so many creatives here and not a huge market right in town. Now the world has changed so much with social media and that I imagine Absolutely. a lot of the folks, a lot of the folks that are living here are probably doing just fine, you know, enjoying well, their morning sunrises on Lake Superior and still making a lot of money selling their stuff or their services elsewhere. You know, I have a theory, John, and this is why I travel so much around the world because I love meeting amazing creative people and I find them in the smallest of towns and I find them, of course, in the larger cities and I think you could say the same thing about L.A. or I'm in San Diego. It's the same thing in New York or Chicago. The big cities are full of creative people and everybody is competing for jobs and everybody is having to wonder where their next job is going to come from. I mean, even if you're a major star, you're still always worried about that, right? And and so I love encouraging people in small towns to just feel the joy of going out and creating something absolutely wonderful. And, and I do meet people like you and your stuff is... Uh, it's intimidating to me in some ways because I look at you, I look at oh, your no. work and our styles are so different. You have an amazing, an amazing style and people love it. So you do a lot of, of HDR, right? Um, I do. I don't know. I, I guess there's some things I I've, like for landscapes, for instance, or some of these older, uh, like when I shoot an old farmstead with falling down buildings and rusty pickups, I find that HDR just gives you a, a a degree of detail and and uh, rich color reproduction that's really difficult to do with a single frame. But um, 
it's, it's a funny thing. It's like any other tool. When I first learned how to do it, I over overdid it. You mm-hmm. know, and I think I found that from a lot of my photographer friends. They got they got into this very grungy looking other world. You know, it didn't look natural at all. It shouted HDR, you know, and fortunately it only took me a few months to realize that if your image shouts HDA, HDR, it's not, you haven't done it very well. So I, I mean, I, I started to compensate by being very careful. You know, most of the sliders in photomatics, you know, they're, they're infinitely variable from zero to infinity. So right. I'd, I'd always, I'd always be very going very light, just very light. And after a while I got to the point now where I think most people, uh, you know, unless they're photographers with experience of HDR, if they look at an image, it looks pretty normal to them. It doesn't look like it's been really doctored up. And, you know, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. I mean, you know yourself, the whole thing with digital, in the beginning, I was a skeptic because I had cut my teeth on film and shooting black and white. And I, I said, you know, digital, I said, digital will never be as good as film, you know. And, oh, uh, I agree with person, that. I'm starting to shoot film again. I miss it so much. Well, you know, every generation of digital kept getting better. And to the point now where using HDR, I can take any image or any scene that I've shot. And if I do like a, a three bracket uh, and then uh, blend them with photomatics, you can get literally fine detail in the darkest shadows and fine detail in the brightest highlights have the whole thing perfectly exposed and pretty much reveal just about all the information that your camera captured. Um, and you can show people things that, you know, you never could before, even if you spent the day in a dark room working on compensating for, you know, dark shadows or blown highlights or whatever. Um, but the problem is it's introduced a whole nother set of decisions because the human eye doesn't see like that. Mm-hmm. And some of the greatest pictures in the history of photography did have some bulletproof shadows or they did have some blown out highlights, but it was the contrast. It was the tonal range. And oftentimes it was just the strength of the image itself and the composition of the photographer. But that's the way the eye is used to seeing art and photography. And when all of a sudden you show them an HDR image, where everything has been done to capture every bit of data that your camera did and get it onto the, the final product. That's that's, it looks odd to some people to see a, you know, perfect detail uh, in whole frame, close, near, dark, right. And so you, you have to now your set of decisions. Okay. Do I, do I process the image? Do I edit the image? So it looks like that. And then decide how am I going to back off, darken the shadows, or you know. Mm-hmm. So it, you have to you have to remember the world before you did HDR, and then you have to understand how you can get the benefits you would like to get from HDR mm-hmm. without overdoing it or, or or without offending the sensibility of the human eye as people are used to seeing things. So if somebody wanted to get more into doing HDR, what are some tricks or tips you can tell them? Like what would you guide them on if they're getting started? 
Well, you know, it depends on which camera you're using. I happen to be using a Canon 5D Mark IV, mm-hmm. which allows me to set up for HDR sequences anywhere from three to seven. And I used to do seven, but then I realized if you're doing seven images in a bracket, you're you're fighting against yourself on sharp images. Mm-hmm. So if I when I cut down to three, it made a huge difference because I got the benefits of HDR. I still had a sharp image. Um, and then, and I, I don't know, you, you can, if you're fooling around with it, you can decide for yourself, but I like to go uh, minus two, zero and plus two on the exposures on the, on the bracket. Mm-hmm. That and was going to be my next question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. That seems to cover uh, most, even the most dynamic range images. Uh, and then, uh, so I'll set that up right in the camera for a three uh, and once I click the button and hold the shutter, uh, the cable release down, it takes the three shots, bang, bang, bang. Of course, you get the sharpest picture if you've got the fastest shutter speeds. You know, it's HDR is difficult if you have to have like a minute exposure on something. Of course. Um, yeah. Uh, and then I use Photomatics. There's any number of programs that you can use to blend these images. But, you know, Photomatics and me hit it off right away because I was I was kind of intimidated when I was trying to learn HDR but you know a friend of mine turned me on to uh, uh, Photomatics and I, I just it's intuitive for me uh, and, and I just went to work on it so what happens is you know there's decisions to make along the way uh, but you you load you upload your bracket of three and then Photomatics first they blend the, the images uh, and then it gives you an opportunity if you need to do something called deghosting and what that is, of course, is when you're taking an HDR exposure, um, even things that look perfectly still sometimes are moving. Yeah, I'm thinking know? about and, wind in the leaves or something. You oh, know? well, yeah, that's that's the extreme example where if you if you don't do some deghosting, you're going to have fuzzy leaves <laughs> and mm-hmm. branches. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, again, it's one of those things you got to use it sparingly because if you go all of the, all to the right on uh, deghosting, then all of a sudden you've got some weird stuff happening that's unnatural. But I, I again, I go like maybe between twenty and thirty percent deghosting seems to, you know, get rid of the the little bit of edges where the branch had moved from one exposure to the next, and yet still, you know, it looks like a pretty sharp image. So anyway, uh, once you once you've got a blended deghosted image, then Photomatics gives you really infinite control over bringing out shadows, height lights, um, tonal range, incredible piece of it. And then the weird fanatic that I am, <laughs> once, I, once I finish with Photomatics, then I still bring it back to Photoshop and put some finishing touches on it, whether it's uh, you know color adjustment or whatever the, the last few things I need to do. So, you know, some of my favorite images... I, I hate to admit this, but I might spend you know fifty, sixty minutes in a, in the a, uh, two software programs getting an image ready. You know, so it's 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 not something for people that are <laughs> in a hurry, but it's I don't know. It's like everything else I do in photography. I guess it's kind of sucked me in, you know, and I don't, I don't mind the time just evaporates when I'm doing it, you know. Well, that kind of perfectionism and that artistic ability is what sets you apart from other people. When you look for a great image, like we were walking through the park 
And when we first got there, it was kind of foggy and the light wasn't all that great. And then we kept walking and we kept walking and we got back to this this uh, outlet. Uh, what would you call it? This little cove. And you all of a sudden, I, you you were like a retriever. All of a sudden you, yes, so funny watching you because I could tell you were inspired and I'm looking at it as a documentary style photographer and I know what you're, what you're looking at and what was going on in your mind because that was in your mind at that moment going to be a great image and it actually turned out that way. So what are the elements of a great image for you? Well, uh, you know, it starts with where you are, you know, and I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm to the point now where I can go into just about any environment and find something that's interesting, not necessarily beautiful, but interesting from one angle or another. Uh, but yeah, so you have to be someplace where, where magic has the potential. And as you saw, Jay Cook State Park and the river crashing through these pre-Cambrian jagged rocks, I mean, it's, it's it's natural beauty. You, you can go in there with a cell phone and get a great shot. I mean, it's just that kind of place. But well, uh, uh, you, know, I, you know what? No, I disagree with you. Not everybody could get the kind of shot you get. <laughs> well, well, that's a little different, you know. But you know, so you you learn after a while, I guess. Um, and 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 I think the the moment you were speaking of when it it dawned on me that it was going to be a decent sunset after all. And of course, what you're looking at for a sunset shot in a natural environment is something besides clear sky. You need some clouds to bounce that color off of. So how do you get a good sunset? Well, again, first thing is you need to be in an environment where you've got some beauty. And you saw it. We've got in uh, Jay Cook State Park there, you've got this beautiful river crashing through pre-Cambrian jagged rocks. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful image in itself. And then, then the question is, is this going to be totally cloudy gray? Because, you know, gray sunsets just are non-starters. Or if it's perfectly clear sky, you've got no clouds to bounce that color off when the sun mm-hmm. starts to get at the lower angle. Mm-hmm. And when we, when we were there, it was pretty cloudy, and I'm thinking, man, maybe we're not even going to get a sunshine. Well, you and said that to me. Sudden, you said at one point, you said, I hope we, you know, I hope the weather clears up for you, because you were so kind to show me this park so that I could also shoot, and I appreciate that. But yeah, there was a moment there where we were both thinking, hmm, let's see what happens with the weather. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, we had, I, I, I I thought it must have been you. You must have had some magic flowing for it. <laughs> I ordered the sunset. <laughs> we just got that little sliver uh, towards the horizon enough to let some light and color through. And then, you know, the bonus in the sunset is not only did, did we have clouds to bounce the color off of, and we were in a beautiful place, but then the phenomenon of the rays of light arcing up into the air you know that's that doesn't happen every sunset or every sunrise that's it's not uncommon and yet if you're not out there every day you don't you may not see it you know mm-hmm. and so yeah it it was like first of all we were in the right place second of all we got a huge break at sunset with a little opening on the horizon and bang it just popped so i think part of the advice to people is get out there and keep shooting just shoot 
you know, isn't it terrible? Have you ever been someplace and you haven't had your camera with you? And you years, years later, I still remember this one shot that I missed because I had left my camera in the car and I didn't have it with me and I, I missed the shot. It still haunts me years later. Do you have anything like that in your life? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> tons of it, especially the time that I was, you know, in the business world because, you know, when you've already got a car full of briefcases and whatever, uh, I didn't, I did not carry a camera with me when I was going to work and stuff. And yeah, I, it, living by Lake Superior, there was a number of mornings I was driving into work for some damn meeting <laughs> and I'd see something over Lake Superior and, oh, geez, you know, so yeah, I, I know that I've got, I've had that experience over and over again. And, you know, since I've been retired from the business world, I try to, try to have my camera with me as much as possible, but I've still had times because you just don't know when it's going to happen. And I, I don't know, I, I shouldn't be afraid. I guess so much afraid of theft in here and here in Duluth. It's a pretty uh, crime free community, but or relatively compared to the rest of the world. But I, I just don't like to carry, you know, $25,000 worth of stuff at my mm-hmm. back seat, but I paid for it. You know, I've regretted it. It's uh, I carry a little Sony RX10 with me as my little tourist camera, and I keep it with me wherever I am so I can grab it really quick. And it's got a, a zoom on it, a digital zoom that goes to 600, so I can usually get something, but, you know, you still miss those shots. So do you have favorite images? Favorite images. Isn't that terrible? That's like asking somebody to choose between their children, but... When you think about your body of work, are there categories that you love the most? Because you have you have a lot of landscapes, you have people, you you know you have a lot of different types of pictures. What what's your favorite? I think um, I I have a real soft spot for Lake Superior mm-hmm. and the things that occur on and around it, and and it's it's ever changing. It has such a wide range of moods from the, what you experienced that glass calm morning, you know, the 20 footers waves crashing over the, you saw those lighthouses. We've had waves going over the tops of those lighthouses. Oh my goodness. And everything in between. So yeah, I, uh, Lake Superior is, I don't know, I, I, I'm spiritually connected to that somehow. Mm-hmm. And so that, that, that's probably my favorite body of work just because it's not just photography. It's the whole experience. I mean, when I'm out there as you were and you experienced it, that magic period, like a half hour before sunrise until dawn, I mean, it's just, there's nothing like it. And so, so that's probably a fair, but, and I don't know if this is right or wrong. I'm, I'm guessing a lot of artists have to make this decision on a regular basis. You don't just make it once you're making it all your life, but I've had people from different, points of view to say you should specialize in this or you're so good at this you should specialize in that and I don't know what it is I'm just I cannot force myself to do that I'm interested in too many different things you know I didn't shoot much wildlife at all until I don't know five six seven years ago I guess and I met another photographer through this Capture Minnesota website that was sponsored by Twin Cities Public Television and uh I was at that time, I was the landscape guy. He was the wildlife guy. And we shot together enough that we've elevated each other's games to, they used to have these photo of the day awards on Capture Minnesota. And after the two of us had been shooting together for, 
I don't know, six months, one day or one week, he got a photo of the day in landscape, and I got a, later that week a photo of the day in a bird picture. <laughs> so we knew we knew we had uh, transferred the skill set. Oh, I, but, I think it's wonderful when you can meet other creative people and collaborate. I have a group of friends that we go out. You were what? That's what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I have a group of friends that I dearly miss when I moved from L.A. to San Diego. We used to go out whenever I was in town. There would be four or five of us, and we would either fly or drive to a little place nearby, and we would just spend a few hours shooting and then come back, and we would all compare our pictures and help each other and... Isn't it amazing when you can get a group of people and they can look at the same thing and it all comes out different? Everything's different. Yeah. It's amazing to well, me. You know, and it's fun. I guess number one, I mean, I, kind of, I can't lie. I love fun. I, I <laughs> love having fun. So number one, the time you spent there is fun as it's happening. But, you know, when you, when you put creative types together having fun, it's it's the most painless way in the world to learn, and you just do it. You you know, and uh, and I don't know how some people perceive us that are are not inside on the process. I know some people think that, and there probably are some artists or photographers or whatever that are very secretive about what they do and they don't want to give away any <sighs> magic. But I I mean I either I haven't met those people or I just by luck don't hang around with them. The, from the very beginning, the other photographers and artists that I've met have been more than happy to do stuff together, to share, well, this is how I do this, what do you think? And, you know, I am I am a, a, a big collection of all the influences I've rubbed up against. You know, I, I, you know there's somewhere in there, there is my, my vision of, what, you know, what excites me. But it's been molded by so many different people with their skills and talents. And I can look in my kit and I can look at a certain lens or I can look at a certain filter or whatever and I can put somebody's name to it. Well, that's one John Alexander Kay showed me or, you know, whatever. And and it just wouldn't be anywhere near what I am if it wasn't for all these people I've rubbed up against. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about, you've got, your pictures everywhere. Where can we go to find some of your photography? Well, if you in the uh, in the digital world or the online world, I guess the best place to see a variety of my stuff is to go to the John Heinel Photography page on Facebook, because um, I've got most of the images I've ever shot, you know, since social media came around that I felt were any good are are in various categories on that page. Um, so that's John, J-O-H-N-H-E-I-N-O on Facebook. Correct. I've been there. It's a great site. Yeah, it's a great site. Oh, and you know, I want to ask you one more question, too. You talked about Duluth being one of your favorite places to shoot, but where are you going next? Well, my next big adventure, uh, mid-September, I'm headed with one of my best photo buddies out to Grand Tetons for a couple of weeks. Ooh. That's a beautiful place to shoot. Oh, I can see some gorgeous pictures coming out of that. Yeah, well, we've we've had some great trips already. You know, we we had an epic trip to Glacier National Park and one to Yellowstone. And generally, every fall, we try to put together a week or two 
agenda somewhere in this great country of ours. And a lot of times it involves a national park. And mm-hmm. let me add my thanks to the intelligent people years and years ago who said, let's put this stuff aside. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. Okay, so I want to move on because you are an amazing musician and you talk about fun. I mean, <laughs> you've played me some of your music and went, oh my goodness, this is pretty amazing. You're, you're a keyboardist. You've played the piano for, how long have you played the piano? Well, you don't have to say well, how long. How old were you when you started to play the piano? <laughs> I started taking lessons when I was seven. Wow. Did and it that come? was my mom. I got to credit my mom for that. I mean, a seven-year-old kid doesn't know, doesn't say, hey, I want, I want to learn how to play piano. <laughs> she got me started and then I took it from there. <laughs> and did you want to quit at one point and she pushed you or did you just love it? No, I did quit at one point and she didn't push me, which I think was great. I, I took lessons for three years and I was getting into some, you know, fairly complex classical stuff. And I was 10 years old at the time and I was doing some sports and stuff. And, uh, you know, 10 year old kid, just not all 10 year old kids, at least me, I did not appreciate classic music at the time. And I told my mom, I really kind of want to not do this anymore. And she said, fine. And she said, I just wanted to give you that opportunity. And, and, you know, I mean, obviously it was huge. It was a big spark, but I didn't do anything in music uh, for I guess it was about three or four years. And then all of a sudden, the Beatles hit. Mm. <laughs> yeah. everybody and their brother was starting a band and it seemed to me there was guitar players and bass players all over (laughs) not so many drummers because it was a lot of stuff to haul and it was expensive and Mm -hmm. the same for keyboard Mm -hmm. you know so not many keyboard players so i i scraped some money together from odd jobs and stuff and and my parents gave me some and i got a, a a farfisa compact mini organ and a a little Gibson amplifier and I was in business, you know? And so I started playing in a band, I think I was 15 and, um, uh, you could play in for sock hops and all these funny things. But, you know, by the time I graduated from high school, I was bringing in some pretty decent money and allowing me to go places I wouldn't have been otherwise. And then 
the whole seven year thing from Seattle to Los Angeles. And then we did a lot of stuff out West Oregon, uh, Montana, Idaho. And some of it was great. And some of it was a little challenging, but, uh, um, you know, wonderful, <laughs> wonderful experiences seeing the country and meeting people. And, so what kind of music do you play now and who do you play it with? Well, I've got two things going right now. And, and, the main thing is the Center of the All-Stars, and that's classic rock. And uh, we are celebrating our 41st year together. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And, uh, and you yeah, still talk told, to each other. Oh, yeah. We told each other if it ever stops being fun, we're done. And we're still <laughs> doing it. And, um, you know, it's we, well, we had a chemistry from the beginning. I don't know. I've played with a lot of bands and a lot of great musicians, but I've never seen chemistry. I mean, it's like we were... We were born to play together, you know. It's like musically we can complete each other's sentences kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, the people, I think the people can tell we're having that much fun because I think that's where the energy comes from. It radiates. It radiates into the audience and they can play and have fun. And Of course. Absolutely. And and it's a big cycle because the more the crowd gets into it, the more we get into it. Uh, And then I'm also doing a jazz trio, which a lot of times there's... (laughs) Four of us in the trio, but the the point is, there's a female vocalist who's really, really marvelous jazz singer and and uh, great standards and stuff, and and a, a great bass player, and and sometimes we have a drummer, sometimes we don't, but that's a whole nother dimension, you know. It's some of that music is mellower, it's certainly more complicated, uh, and then sometimes there's more room for imp- improv, like when we're doing the jazzy stuff and that. Mm-hmm. But uh, th- here's the common denominator, right? I am so fortunate. All of those people in both of those bands are wonderful people to work with. Uh, the guys in the Centerville all says, I'm an only child. I never had a sibling. Mm. But I feel like I've got the best you could ever have out of having a brother without any of the downsides. So tell me, <laughs> tell me their names and what they play. All right. Well, George Zesis is our guitarist. Um, and uh, for my money, one of the best guitarists. And I'm not, I mean, I, I'm talking about people who have recording contracts and have been major stars. He's one of the best guitarists that ever came out of Minnesota. And I think there's other people that will share in that opinion. And, you know, for instance, he played for a while in Twin Cities with a a really great blues act, a guy named Big John Dickerson. And he wrote music with Big John Dickerson and did a great job. Um, So, I mean, we're fortunate to have him. um, And, and he's a great guy fun guy to get along with and and uh you know likes to party a little bit you know <laughs> and then um kyle and frisato is our our frenetic bass player uh kyle and i actually go back the longest uh when i first was playing in a band it was with kyle and uh when i was uh junior in high school and he was a senior my my lasting impression of kyle was made we we had these things called sock hops at 8.30 in the morning at uh, at the school I went to, and they'd, they'd have us come in and play for like an hour in the morning. I don't know if they're thinking maybe it would, uh, you know, calm the kids down, you know, if they burst some energy right now. <laughs> but oh, anyway. Well, that's a fallacy, but go ahead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, my lasting impression of Kyle, uh, he, he, for, for whatever reason, he didn't have a car to get his gear from 
Morgan Park, which is quite a ways from Proctor here. And and he had an amplifier and a case with a bass in it that he had to carry. And of course, he was he was working all the weights. He was a center on a football team, and he was you know so he's like a you know Rocky Balboa kind of physique. But even then, he's all, I look out my window, and he's coming down the driveway. It's a it's a blizzard. Oh he no! Hitchhiked. He hitchhiked in a blizzard. And they dropped him off about two blocks from my house, and his glasses were covered with snow. He's looking over the top. <laughs> He's trudging in like two feet of snow, carrying an amplifier in one hand and his bass in the other. And I'll I'll just never forget that. I mean, and that's kind of that's 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 what he is about. He's like a hard charger. And when you see him on stage, he looks like he's going to explode. And I've never seen anybody pound the bass guitar like he does. You know. Wow. <laughs> and then our our drummer is the only non-original member because our original drummer i don't know 10 years ago or so said i hope you guys don't take this wrong but i'm getting old oh and he said, if i have to if i have to play honky-tonk women one more time i think i'll fall off my drum stool so i'm gonna ride into the sunset boys <laughs> and he's still he's still around he's still you know we get a chance to talk to him and whatever and um but he had, I guess I'd call it an understudy, right? The guitarist's younger brother, John Vesos, who drums with us now, um, had been playing in different bands over the years and was a very good drummer in his own right. And every now and then, Chuck had something to do. That was our original drummer. And whether he had, had to be somewhere and he couldn't do the gig or maybe he was sick or whatever. So Johnny used to fill in for him. And... Uh, so, I mean, it was it was the natural thing. Like, you know, Chuck left one week, and the next week John sat on that stool, and it was like he didn't have to learn anything. He already knew it. And plus, I think there was a little fresh energy when cause Johnny's mm-hmm. a little younger than the other guy. And, and of all the things you can think of playing, like I wonder how Charlie Watts plays a two-hour show with the Rolling Stones, I mean, in his 70s. Because I mean, physically, they're in, they're exerting the most effort. Um, but anyway, Johnny stepped in. He brought a little, I think, fresh energy, and uh, you yeah. know, we, we we barely missed a beat. <laughs> mm. See what I did there? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> Where did the so talk to me about your jazz group? Who's in the jazz group? The jazz group, um, it's fronted by just a very lovely, talented woman by the name of Maxie Childs. And, uh, you know, everybody loves her. I mean, I, I think, I think they'd love her if she couldn't sing a note just because she's, she's, she's a bundle of positive energy. She's so friendly and, and, you know, she spends all of our breaks in that band just talking to people and everybody wants to talk with Maxie and stuff. And she's got a great voice, great uh, versatility. You know, everything from uh, Melissa Etheridge to uh, uh, Maria Maldar and Pat uh, uh, Midler, you name it. And, and, and she's just such a nice person and, and does such a great job. And then her significant other is the bass player, Steve Netzel. And uh, rock solid. You know, like I said, sometimes we play the drummer, sometimes we don't. And that's when I appreciate Steve the most is when we're not playing with the drummer because he is such a solid bass player that we can do an untempo jams uh, tune without a drummer, just bass and piano. And 
it's like you don't really miss the drums. Hmm. I mean, it's a whole different thing when you've got a great drummer laying it down. It, it's much more relaxing. It's just a lot easier to let them do some of the work, but we don't need a drummer. And that's, hmm. that's an odd thing really. And that's, that's all Steve. Um, and then when we do have a drummer, it's a guy named Jeff Peabody, who is, you know, I don't know. He's the drummer of drummers for, for jazz mm-hmm. standards, mm-hmm. rock, I mean, he can play anything. He's like a metronome tempo-wise, bang, bang, you know, right in the pocket all the time. Oh, that's awesome. And, uh, and, 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 you know, kind of what, what I really like about him is he, uh, he's also a hell of a photographer. <laughs> so we are kind of kindred spirits in that way. When he's not playing drums, he's shooting. <laughs> wow, that's pretty amazing. So yeah. where do you guys play, both groups, and who have you opened for, and where do you, where do you travel? Well, Centerville All Stars, uh, we have opened for I don't know, gosh, I'm trying to think of it. You, you, you got to go back a ways, you know, uh, head east. Um, Didn't you tell me Leonard Skinner at one point? Yeah, well, that's yeah. I think let's let's yeah. Uh, it's just so I don't overtax my okay. memory on a there Monday, you go. Monday morning. Most most recently, um, we did a thing called Moon Dance Jam, which is an annual thing out here in Minnesota. And I think I can't remember if this is the twenty eighth or whatever. Uh, it's held at a beautiful big outdoor uh, place in Walker, Minnesota. Uh, they have room, beautiful places to camp with motorhomes, whatever. Always a you know three day roster of classic rock bands, um, and so yeah, we this year we opened for Skinner, Leonard Skinner. That was the I think the second time. Uh, in the past, we uh, opened for Gin Blossoms, uh, Big Head Todd and the Monsters. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's been. <laughs> It's been a fun ride. We we still nowadays nowadays we primarily play in Duluth or the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul, and we we talk about like the I thirty five tour. <laughs> We're either in Duluth or Minneapolis or somewhere along Interstate thirty five in between. But every now and then, you know, we've got a promoter out in uh, North Dakota, Montana area that puts together a a little tour for us. And so, like last spring, we did. Uh, a few dates in North Dakota and Montana, and uh, you know it was a riot. I, you know, it's, I mean, it brought us back to the old days because whatever else you could say about being on the road with a band, it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's and always so, fun, it, isn't it? Yeah, we learned we learned that um, when it comes to things like alcohol consumption, uh, you don't want to try to keep up with the way you were in the past. You know, it took about one good hangover to say, okay, we don't, we don't do that. Anymore. Good for you. But we still had fun. It was proof that you don't need mass quantities of alcohol to have fun. There you uh, go. But anyway, it was kind of interesting because we were sitting with uh, one of the bar owners in Montana after a show one night, and um, this guy was just effusive in his his praise. Oh, this is such a great, I'm so glad I got you guys, you know, and, and the guy, our promoter is sitting there with us. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, you just gotta, you gotta appreciate the guy, you know, cause he's a, he's a little bit of a character. Anyway, <laughs> at some point he said, well, you know what? The people out here are starved for entertainment. <laughs> oh, thanks a lot. That's our promoter. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> oh my god! You know what? There's a lot of gearheads that listen to this show. Do, can you talk about what kind of gear you take with you when you when you're out on the road and uh, what you use in the studio? You know what? As little as possible. <laughs> There you go. I think that's part of the secret. But I'm looking uh, at a picture of you at Moondance Jam. You've got a uh, Marshall behind you and Korg in front of you. And so talk about what you take with you to these things. Yeah, well, you know what? That was a great setup, but that was their back line and their keyboard. Uh, okay. That's one of the things I like about Moondance is if you don't want to haul a ton of gear, you can use what they've got there. I still... Nowadays, I bring my own keyboard and I use their amplifier because I, I, I like this. Mm-hmm. I'm... Uh, playing a Nord stage piano, which I love so much that I, I don't want to take a risk that they don't have something that good. But um, What do you like about the Nord? Well, the Nord has got such fantastic piano patches, for one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, everything from like a Rhodes sound to a classic piano sound to Wurlitzer and then, you know, clav, clavinet. It's, it's just, it's, it's very versatile. It's got a great weighted action uh, and you know, Hammond, it's got a Hammond organ B3 kind of set with drawbars, um, which allows you, and, and simulated Leslie speaker, simulated overdrive. And if you know what you're doing, you can dial up something that sounds like those 500-pound B3s and Leslie's we used to haul around. Hmm. Um, and then I, I, I'm using um, ElectroVoice-powered monitor which it's just amazing. I mean, I used to, I used to haul around stacks of amps and five keyboards and all that. And then somewhere along the line, I think just cause you get older and we didn't have roadies all of a sudden when we were younger, we had roadies, we had truckloads of stuff, right? Cause somebody else carried it. I used to just step on stage. Everything was turned on. You know? And then when I was done, I left. You yeah. Know? I didn't know what happened in between that and the next gig, you know, but that God was... bless the roadie in our lives, right? God bless the roadies. We love you. <laughs> but now, you know, when you get to sort of a uh, a mature <laughs> stage of life and you're hauling your own gear, gear, all of a sudden it's all about how little can you haul and still sound great. And so that's what I'm carrying now. I've replaced all the stacks of amps and the five keyboards with the Nord stage piano and I've got an electro voice powered speaker, which I can still lift with one hand and it's hmm. got a 15 inch, uh, really powerful 15 inch, uh, a crossover, a high range horn, and it'll, it'll, uh, take up to 2000 Watts hmm. <laughs> you know, RMS. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a beautiful life now. I can, I can be set up in like 15 minutes. <laughs> Well, that's great. So when you're in Duluth, how do you mix and record? Where are you? And who does that for you? Well, when like the the stuff you've listened to off Not Dead Yet was recorded up at a place called Sacred, he- Sacred Heart Music Center, which is actually a deconsecrated Catholic church. It's a beautiful old building, which, thank God, people pulled together and saved it from the wrecking ball. It's the recording studio, and it's also a live music venue. They put okay. on shows there also. But there's a guy there, an engineer named Eric Swanson, who, uh, I don't know, I, I couldn't even tell you all the major bands he's, he's done. I mean, he just loved Duluth and, and settled here. But, I mean, he did things like at Sacred Heart. Sacred Heart, the interior space, is known for a superb reverb right? Natural reverb. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's good and sometimes it's bad. You have to, you have to always deal with it. But the crash test dummies sent him, uh, 
music that they were recording and asked him to run it in that room and record it in that room so they could have the reverb. <laughs> well, that's fun. I'd like to hear yeah, that track. He, <laughs> yeah, and he did it. Uh, he did it, huh. and they loved it. And um, anyway, uh, and Eric is a great guy. He, I mean, he actually mixed live sound. I was for a while involved in a 10-piece show band. It was like a 50s and 60s rock band with a big horn section and, and uh, three singers out front. It was called uh, Cherry Cola. And um, he did our live sound for several years, and, and he's marvelous at live sound, too. But the thing with Centerville, we found over the years, uh, we had a devil of a time finding a sound engineer who could capture what we were about in a studio setting. You know, number one, you don't have the audience there, so that piece of the energy is missing. Mm-hmm. And number two... It's it, it, the way, when you first plug everything in, as I'm sure you're aware, everything's kind of dry and sterile sounding. And to get from that to something that sounded like we did when we played live was not something every engineer could do. And Eric did that. He hmm. when, when you listen to Not Dead Yet, that that particular one, or even Party with the Band, but uh, you have a good feel for what we sound like live. The energy came through, and 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 that I think was his number one achievement. But he records all kinds of bands, local, national bands have come here just because of the reverb in the studio. He's uh, he's a genius, you know. So, I mean, and, and to have that resource in the booth, I mean, how cool is that? You know, you know the size of this market, and here we've got this deconsecrated church, which, you know, is a historic building, I think it's 1896 when it was built. Um, and, you know, it's, it's still got all of that, the stained glass mm. windows and the magic. Only it's got this great recording studio and an engineer that happens to be one of the best ones ever anywhere who decided he wanted to live in Duluth. So how lucky is that? So inspiration is everything for creatives. If you, yeah, if you're in a beautiful place with people that you care about and who let you just be who you are and you can just jam with them, what an amazing life. So think about Not Dead Yet. Are there some favorite tracks on that album you can think of? Because you've got... I'm yeah, looking- well, you know... They're like they're like children, right? Especially your first CD. It's like you know, um, I had that's a compilation of stuff I'd written over the years. Some of those songs were written back when we were on the road. Uh, but you know, I, I you know one of my favorites for sure is the title track, "Not Dead Yet," because mm-hmm. it kind of it kind of uh, encapsulates the attitude that we have right now. We're not we're not young guys, and you know, we show up for a place that they've never seen us before. They're not sure if we're the roadies or we're there to clean up the stage or whatever. <laughs> we're we're not, you know, we're not young looking guys. You know, it's it just it's it's amazing how long this ride has gone. You know, like the Grateful Dead got the line uh, line, what a long strange trip it's been. Well, we just have to add long strange and fun. <laughs> there you go. So I, as you know, firmly believe in amazing talent that you find when you travel the world and how do you define success i don't believe it's being in la or being in new york how do you define success other than the fact that my bucket list is bigger than my wallet and i can never have enough gear i would define success as as it applies to creative type whether it's art or music it would be something that you created that first of all gave you joy, you know, where you said, ah, mm-hmm. that's exactly, exactly what I was trying to do. I love it. 
And and I'll be honest with you, with my photography, I'm happy whenever somebody says I want to buy something or I want you to decorate my offices, whatever it might be. But I would do that. I would do this photography thing, whether I ever earned a penny at it or not, because mm-hmm. that I I get a strong sense of satisfaction when I look at an image and say, yeah, or when I look at an image and say, wasn't I amazingly lucky <laughs> to be standing at that spot at that moment in time? And that that's kind of what the sunset at Jay Cook was about in my mind. I mean, that was a gorgeous moment. Yeah. Um, and the other, the other thing I think about success uh, is when you, something you've created is able to bring joy to other people. And it's a brief little story here. Uh, three, four years ago, I had an opportunity to submit some art for a new hospital in Twin Cities, the uh, University of Minnesota Surgery Center. And, and, and in their call for submissions, uh, they were saying it should be beautiful, calming images because we're putting these in waiting rooms where people are in there for some pretty serious stuff, maybe life-threatening, very difficult stuff to deal with. And we would like to use art as a means of helping them be in a, in a calming environment. And I thought about that for a minute. I thought, you know, if, if I, if my photography in a waiting room at the surgery center could be something that would take somebody's mind off a bad situation, even for a few seconds, you know, what better use is there? turned out I, I get 57 pieces in a deal that are all over the surgery center and waiting rooms. And, I, I mean, at the time, it was the biggest commercial deal I had done. I didn't have to print anything or hang it or whatever. They, they just paid me for the images to use. Mm-hmm. And it was a very lucrative deal. But what actually, over time, has been much more interesting than the money it produced, about once or twice a month, I get an email or a Facebook message from someone who was in one of those rooms. Either they're there for something or one of their relatives. And and I've gotten some just inspiring messages. And, and I realized, um, first of all, I realized the University of Minnesota uh, medical people were on the right page in terms of what you should put in those rooms. Because uh, I have gotten confirmation from the person that, yeah, this is beautiful. I love it. I'm glad it's here. Oh, you know, What a gift. That's success. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's probably more success than anything else. Yeah. What a gift. That's amazing. So where can we go online to get some of your music and where can we go to get some of your photography? Well, um, let's take the music first. Um, I think CD Baby is is still actually has some CDs. Track by track, it's available on iTunes and I think you just took your uh, advantage of that this morning but i actually went on amazon i bought the not dead i went on amazon and searched for you and i bought the not dead yet album and i'm loving it i'm having fun with it encourage people to go to amazon Amazon. (laughs) yeah i guess everything that's ever been produced is available on amazon (laughs) yeah i hope i hope you're getting the money off of it (laughs) so amazon itunes and cd baby for the music right and and there's actually two cds besides not dead yet that was our first one Mm -hmm. and then we did one called party with the band which in its own right i think has as many interesting 
tracks on it as as uh, not dead yet, but it, it it's not quite as precious to me because it wasn't our first one. Um, as far as uh, images, um, I do a lot of onesies and twosies with people right through my Facebook page, mm-hmm. and I got to warn you, you know, for the people that are conditioned to a e-commerce site where you go in and give a credit card and bang everything is magical. It's not like it. it. If you if you deal with me on my through my Facebook photography page, it's one on one. It's you and me, and you tell me I like this image, uh, and I'll ask you what do you got in mind? Uh, canvas, gicle, metal, what size? And I'll get them a price quote. We figure out what it is. I either produce it myself if it's a print or if it's metal or a canvas gallery wrap. I have vendors who do that. I send them the piece. If they like it, they send me a check. <laughs> so it's kind of old school. Oh, I like that, though. I like that. I, oh, I do, too. And I like interacting with people. Uh, and I have, I've actually made some great friends among the clients that buy my images. So for the people listening, if you want to get music from John Hino, go to iTunes, Amazon, or CD Baby. And if you're interested in his photography, go directly to John Hino, H-E-I-N-O, on Facebook, and you can take a look at what he's got there, and you will be amazed. I've been speaking with John Hino, who is a photographer, a musician, making magic for the entire world out of Duluth, Minnesota. We're going to close today's show with a little bit from the Not Dead Yet album, and it's the title track, Not Dead Yet. Still pay.